we just come before you and thank you for another day. Thank you, Lord, for breath in our lungs and uh, for the opportunity, God, to gather tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the midweek study and, and the hearts that are here tonight, God. I pray that every heart would be encouraged, Lord. pray that, um, God, through the, the time in your word, Lord, we would have perspective, that we uh, would um, learn how to um, face the challenges in life and, and also handle the joys in life, God, to, uh, to bless your name in all situations, God. I pray, God, that your word would um, impact our hearts today, God, that we would come to know you more. Um, and that we would also look more like you, Lord. We thank you for Paul and his example. And uh, Lord, just bless your word now as it goes forth. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Paul is in the midst of uh, answering questions. He uh, wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, a church that he established spent 18 months with them, and now, essentially, because they had their eyes on the things of the world and, and thinking that those things were better than the things of God, he's having to come back and correct them and, and reset and reestablish some of their doctrine. Um, him, he is proclaiming in the early chapters, hey, I, I preach nothing but Christ and him crucified to you. That's where we need to start. That's the foundation that we build upon. And so he kind of stripped everything away and got back to that basic foundation at the beginning of the book and then corrected several things in, in chapters 4, 5, and 6. And then really in chapter 7, he turned the tide or turned the, the letter rather and said, hey, you had some questions for me. I want to spend some time answering those questions. And so that's what he's doing now in 7 all the way up to chapter 14. He's answering questions that the Corinthian church had sent to them. Now what's interesting for us Bible geeks is in chapters 8, 9, and 10, it's a long answer to one question. All three chapters, he's, 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 pull, he's drawing out this lengthy answer to the question, should we as Christians eat meat sacrificed to idols? And, uh, and so he started that last week in chapter 8. Chapter 9, kind of the middle of the argument, he'll finish it next week in chapter 10. But what he's going to do today, and I love 1 Corinthians chapter 9, what he's going to do today is, is use himself as an example of how he applies the principle that we, we learned last week. And that principle was that love for other people is, a, uh, is greater than the liberties that you have for yourself. The, the other people's um, hang-ups or issues, we need to be considerate of those things. We need to um, determine if, if we're going to cause a brother or a sister to stumble. And if we are, then love would dictate that you and I don't do those things even though we have the liberty to do them. And then, and then the example he or the question that they were asking about is, should we eat meat sacrificed to idols? It's not something that's particularly relevant as far as that specific thing in our day and age. We don't know. I don't think Tyson is sacrificing their chickens to idols. I don't know that for sure, but I don't think they are. And so when you go to the grocery store and get your chicken, you're okay. And that's not, one, that's not a question you ask every time you open the freezer door at Kroger. But the question would be then, well, what about, what about other liberties that we have as Christians? Is it, it's okay for us to drink. It's okay for us to have a glass of wine or a beer. The question is, would 
we do that in front of somebody that has struggled with it? And if so, then we, we're missing the point. Paul is saying we don't, we, we would refrain from our liberties in order to keep another brother from stumbling. All right, so now in chapter 9, he, he kind of turns the attention toward him and, and his life. He says in verse 1, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Now it's interesting, Paul here, in and, and, and almost all of his letters, proclaims his apostolic authority. He, usually in the front end of his letter, he would say, Paul, in the next phrase, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and that by the will of God, he would, he would proclaim his authority as an apostle. What does the Bible dictate is required in order for you to have that title? I mean, do I, I just became a senior pastor. Is the next step for me becoming the apostle, the apostle of Calvary Chapel, Columbus? And the answer is no. <laughs> the, the apostleship is, is, dictated by a certain set of parameters given in the Bible, one of which, as you read Acts chapter 1, would say you had to be a, an eyewitness to Jesus Christ on the earth. Now, how does Paul have that information? Because he didn't see Jesus while he lived on the earth. Well, we don't know that. We didn't see, he didn't see Jesus as Lord while Jesus was living on the earth, but he did have the Damascus Road experience. And Paul would say that was not merely a vision, that was Jesus coming to him. And so he has the eyewitness test for Paul to say, I have the apostleship. Another one would be uh, an apostle would perform miracles. All of the disciples turning into apostles, and including Paul, performed miracles at one point or another. I, I, I ain't got that in my bag of tricks. Now, if God, I have seen God heal somebody that I've prayed for, but that's not me. That's, that's definitely, definitely not me. That's God in me. And, and so I'm not claiming that I have miracles or have performed miracles. So, and I certainly haven't seen Jesus um, in the way that the disciples have. So makes sense. So Paul is saying, I'm, I'm a, I am an apostle. And not only, not only is he going to say, I've seen the Lord Jesus, but he's also saying, you Corinthian church, you are my seal of apostleship. You know the things that I've had happen in, my, in your church. You know what was going on. And so he's, he's kind of laying down his authority again, and, and we've got to remember why, because the Corinthian church said, no, nah, Paul, you're not, you're not really an apostle. You're, you're you know, maybe a minister at best, but they were divided over who to follow and all those issues. And so um, he, he's, he's proclaiming his, his authority. So he says in verse 3, My defense to those who examine me is this. Those are both legal terms, defense and examine there. He's, he's, he's making his case. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brother of the Lord, and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? So here's his question. He's saying, Paul, or Barnabas and I, we're, we're, you're holding us to a different standard than the other apostles. 
And, and he's even saying, you know, do we have no, uh, eat and drink? Can we eat and drink what we not, can we make a living off of this is what he's going to say? Can we take along a believing wife? It's interesting that the, the Catholic Church would say that Peter was the first pope. A pope was not to be married, and yet even here it's saying Cephas, Peter, is taking along a believing wife. Kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Verse 7, whoever goes to war... Whoever goes to war at his own expense. And so he's not going to ask questions from, from a practical application. Whoever goes to war at his own expense. Whoever plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit. Or who tends a flock and does not drink the milk of the flock. And so he looks to everyday life. You wouldn't be a soldier in the army and have to buy your own gun, would you? You wouldn't have to, as you enlist in the army, you, oh, by the way, um, you need to cough up $1.4 million for the tank that we're going to have you drive or whatever it is, it's probably more than that. That's probably a, a low estimate, but that's what he's saying. He's, you, don't, you don't have to buy your own boots when you enroll in the army. Or, or um, whoever plants a vineyard, don't they eat the fruit? Don't you, don't you have the opportunity as you plant a vineyard, though you would probably sell the most of your produce, you, you get to have some of the fruit of it. Or if you have a flock, you, you get to drink the milk of that flock. Or... We're in the process of raising chickens. The hope is that at some point they will lay eggs so that our family can have eggs. They haven't yet, and we're still, we're still, I guess it's still early. Another month or so, okay. But I'm looking forward to omelets. <laughs> and so we're going to reap the, the fruit of our flock that we have. And so, but at the same time, if we get more than what we can eat, then we, we sell those things or we give them away. Now he's going to look at the, the law, the Old Testament. Do I say these things as a mere man? Are these just using worldly examples? Or do not, does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? I love that. <laughs> Paul's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. And he says, hey, in, that, in, the, in the law that Moses gave, he gave a, a command to say, while you are using the ox as a, a tool, an instrument, to bring up your grain, you don't put a muzzle on him and keep him from eating. You allow him to eat it. And then he goes on to say, now, is that information in the Bible for the sake of the ox? Maybe to a small degree, but Wearsby, the, the commentator, would say the ox can't read that. <laughs> and so maybe there's more to what this is saying. That's exactly what Paul is saying. He's going to uh, attribute it to those that are in the ministry have the right to live by that ministry. You shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. Is it the oxen God is concerned about? Paul's like, not so much. It's, let's, let's continue reading. Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should have a partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Now that's, that's, that's the gist of his argument to say, hey, 
If we've sown spiritual things into you, if we, if we've, you know, labored in, in sharing the gospel, the good news, Paul is saying, don't we have the privilege and the right to reap material things from you, meaning support, so that we can continue to minister? And then he goes on to say, like I said in verse 12, if others are partakers of this right over you. So it's not that the Corinthian church was opposed to paying people for their ministry. They were doing it, just not Paul and Barnabas. And so Paul's like, what's the hang up here? And it's as we read on in the chapter, Paul's not guilting them into, into a paycheck. Paul's not trying to do that at all. He's just, he's just trying to make a point on why Sometimes, remember the question, sometimes we hold back on our liberties to keep others from stumbling. And he's going to say one of the liberties that he has is to make a living from the gospel. Interesting point. He says in verse 12, if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Okay, so Paul is saying we've got, we've got precedent here. It goes back to when Israel began, when when Israel was divided into the 12 tribes, one of those 12 tribes was the tribe of Levi. That tribe was set aside for the service of God. Those were, those were the ones that carried the tent. They set up the tabernacle. They offered the sacrifices. The priestly line came from the Levites. And in that setting aside of the Levitical tribe, he said the rest, the other 11 tribes, are to provide for the tribe of Levi through their offerings and through their sacrifices, we, the rest of the congregation, the rest of the nation provides for Levi, the, the tribe of Levi. So this is a, has been precedented from the beginning of the nation, from the beginning of Israel. And then he goes on to say, even the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. And that's going to reference, and I don't have my notes, but um, Jesus, when he sends out the 70, two by two. He tells them, uh, don't take a tunic, don't take food to eat, don't take um, anything with you. Don't take a second pair of shoes, something along. I can't remember exactly what the list is. For the worker is worthy of his wages, is what he says at the end of it. In other words, um, God will provide for you through other people to, to meet your needs, so you don't need to take extra things as, as Jesus sends him out, sends them out. And so, verse 14 again, even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I, Paul says in verse 15, I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so for me. For it would be better for me to die than anyone should take, make my boasting void. So Paul's saying, I, like I said, he, I, he's saying, I'm not trying to guilt you here. I, I'm not looking for a paycheck from the Corinthian church. Uh, I, I, I want to boast in the fact that I don't take a paycheck from them. He says, verse 16, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. 
Paul's saying, my reward is not, your, not the paycheck. My, my goal is not the paycheck. I'm not merely a hireling. My, the, the goal of Paul is to say, I want to preach the gospel. And he's saying, it's such a burden on my heart to preach the gospel. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? that when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. So you kind of have to muddle your way through this and think about it for a few minutes to say, what is what exactly are you trying to say, Paul? Here's what it boils down to. He's going to say, I have the right, I have the liberty as your authority, the uh, apostle, to to get paid for preaching the gospel. But that's not my end goal. I'm not interested in that paycheck per se. That He's saying that um, I, I, I want to present the gospel without charge. When you guys walked in today, did anybody charge you to get in? Because if Tim charged, you charged Art. No. <laughs> Tim's making five bucks. <laughs> No, you weren't charged. There was no cover charge to walk in the church tonight. We we teach the word of God free of charge. We don't we don't charge anyone here. If you want to give to this ministry, you're welcome to do that, but that's of your own accord. We don't beg or ask money of of, of anyone. And we present the gospel without charge. All right, verse where are we? 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I w- might win the more. Okay, underline that if you want to. This is, our, this is our principle restated. I am free from all men. I, don't, I have the liberty to do these things, but I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. So yes, I have liberties, but I'm going to hold back some of those liberties in order that the gospel might go forward, in order that I might win more. And he's going to expound on that in verse 20. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. That's a great goal. That's a a great stance to take. Now I do this for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. And so Paul is saying, in so many words, I don't just let life happen. I, I... I, Paul is saying, I live intentionally. When, I, when I'm going into a Jew, Jewish synagogue to preach the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm going to consider the law, and I'm going to consider that those that I'm speaking to are under the law, and I'm going to consider how that would affect their response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need to demonstrate the difference between the law and grace. And when I'm, I'm with those out in, in the marketplace and those that have never been under the law, then I don't speak necessarily of the law because they don't have an understanding of that law. I just speak to them starting with creation or what have you. Paul's saying, I'm living intentionally. I become all things to all men. I consider the way I'm going to interact with one other people. 
that I might win some. I think we recognize if you've tried to witness, your, your turn, turnabout ratio isn't always the greatest. Those that, that come to the Lord through your witnessing, you have to do it time and time and time again. And, and the Lord will bless some and the Lord will, will say no to others and, or not right now or the seed is planted. The, hear this, church. As we witness, the results are not up to you. The results are not up to me. That's God's. And the question is, are we being faithful? Are we being faithful to present the gospel? That's what we've been called to do. Paul's saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes to share the gospel, even if it means not taking a paycheck in this instance. Uh, verse 24. I love these verses. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Love that verse. It's, it's uh, okay, thank you, Captain Obvious. If everybody is lined up at the Boston Marathon and the, and the starting gun goes off, everybody that's in the race runs. Don't you know that all who run in a race run? Yes, okay, we know that. Well, he's saying then, don't just run in a race to run in a race. Run in a race in order to win the race. Run in the race in order, and, and understand that winning the race is not beating the person next to you in church. Under, understand that winning the race is doing the best of your ability. I just heard a story um, on, uh, oh shoot, um, Air One, right, yeah, that's the new radio station, right, Air One, 99.3 on your dial. Anybody listen to it? New Christian radio station, relatively new, 99.3, Christian music, they don't have any teaching on it, but but solid Christian music for the most part. Um, they, uh, one of the DJs was talking about a, um, oh, the Chicago Marathon was going on this past weekend, and uh, they had so many thousands of runners. And uh, 27 hours after the gun had gone off, there was a group of about 150 people waiting at the finish line for the last runner to come in. 27 hours later. The average guy that wins a marathon runs it in just under four hours, I think, now. Is that about right? Anybody know? Three-something? Sound about right? We ha I'm excited. We have a lady in our church that is running the Columbus Marathon either this Sunday or next Sunday, whenever it is. I don't know that we've had a marathoner in our church before. I think that's pretty cool. So I've been encouraging her. She, she puts on Facebook, I ran 12 miles today. I'm like, I went and got some ice cream. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but all who run in a race run. Anyway, back to the story of Chicago. The, the man that was finishing 27 hours later uh, had been diagnosed with um, MS. And, uh, and so he had to... And this wasn't the first marathon that he had run. He had run several marathons. So did he win the race? Certainly not. He came in 23, you know, 24 hours later than the winners. But did he win his race? Absolutely. Because he finished it. 
and he finished well, and he did it to the best of his ability. And that's what Paul is saying here. All who run in a race run. Run in a way is to obtain the prize. And of course, in this day and age, what was going on in Corinth was the, the Ismithian Games, something like that. They were second only to the Olympic Games. And so those in Corinth would have been very familiar with this analogy to say, oh, all who run in a race run. And so they, they would have known that they were running. Um, run in such a way that you may obtain uh, the prize. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it for a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. And there is the, the nugget of this chapter, I would say, is that uh, everyone who competes in, in the races, they run for a, a laurel wreath that a few months down the road is dried and brittle and falling apart. It's a, it's a perishable crown. And his point is, you and I, we run in the race uh, 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 with Christ, and, and we are, to, are receiving or we are sowing into uh, an, an imperishable crown. We do it for an imperishable crown. You and I have, when we see our God face to face, will be given crowns. It talks about it throughout the New Testament, the crown of life and, and other things. Some would say, and I'm back and forth about this, that, that we would cast those at the, the feet of God. Um, the, we see the elders do that in the book of Revelation, and I would imagine as they are our elders, we would probably do the same. Um, but we have the crown of life, and in, in that life we have, uh, or in the, I'm sorry, we have the imperishable crown, the, those crowns that will go on forever and ever. Remember back in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, as Paul was considering, hey, what are you building with? Remember that? Remember the, the wood, hay, and the stubble, those things that won't, ta- won't pass the fire? Or, or gold and silver and, or, and the precious jewels, the precious stones. What, what are you building with? Those are the things that become the imperishable crown. And he finishes the chapter with this thought. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. This isn't just shadow boxing. In verse 27, another great underlinable verse, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. All this in an answer to a question, should we eat meat or a lot? But there's a lot of various truths that we can apply to our lives as well. And that last one is the one I want to focus on as we finish up tonight. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. In the economy of God, you remember, let's back up here a second. Remember in the, in the beginning of Corinthians, as we've been studying, Paul talks about three different men, three different types of men. We had the natural man, and the spiritual man, and the carnal man. Remember those? Okay, the natural man being that you and I are that person when we are born. We are the natural man. The as we are made up of a trinity, a triune, we are a triune being, we have body, soul, and spirit, okay? And that's how it is. That's the order in, in the natural man. Body is king. 
Body is what drives everything else. Body is what determines everything. You live according to your appetites. As the natural man, you live according to your appetites. The body drives everything. So body is on top, then soul and spirit. When we give our hearts to God, when we become a spiritual man, that's upended. We become spirit, soul, body. And body takes the the bottom. And, and and body gets it's pushed down to the bottom. So then when we struggle with carnality, those that should be living as a spiritual man but have become a carnal man, what's happening in that instance, and this helps help me understand this so much better, that body that we have pushed down as a spiritual man is trying to get regain the spot that it had as a natural man. I, I want to be back on top. And so we succumb to that and we, we act carnally. We're spiritual, but we act carnally. That's when the body is trying to regain its position as king in our lives. Now, what is Paul saying? You're spiritual. Live as though you're spiritual. Paul's saying, in order to, or the way that I live spiritually is I discipline my body. I discipline my body. Verse 27 I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. That means, again, intentional living. That means living spiritually, recognizing that we are born of the Spirit, and in then intentionally suppressing, intentionally bringing it into subjection, intentionally discipline our body so that what we do, so that, the, so that we can limit the liberties that we take in order not to make another brother stumble. You with me? Make sense? Okay. So what does that look like in your mind life? Well, discipline takes practice, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't just happen. I think you've probably all experienced in that in one form or another. I know that let's take weight loss as an example. It doesn't just happen that all of a sudden you stop eating. It doesn't just happen that all of a sudden you go on the diet. It takes intentionality. You have to plan out your meals. You have to decide what what you're going to have and what you're not going to have. It takes discipline. Fasting. When's the last time we fasted? It's a, it's a spiritual discipline. It's us telling our body no. Our body doesn't like that. I don't know if you've tried fasting before. If and once you get past day half, <laughs> maybe day one, if you're good, your body quickly tells you, I ain't digging this at all. But what happens? As you press through, what happens if you continue to fast? Day two, brutally hard. Day three, probably even harder. But day four, it starts to get a little better. Why? Because you're regaining that spiritual mindedness. You're you're resetting the, the balance of power. The spirit is living on top as it is, and, and the body is is being disciplined the way that it should. And from that point, it gets easier and easier. Fasting is, a, is, is a, something I need more of in my life, but also it's, a, it's just a good practice for us to say no to our bodies. How about hitting the snooze alarm? Now you're stepping on toes, Pastor. I do it all the time too. But a spiritual discipline would be saying, no, you don't need nine more minutes of sleep. Who decided nine minutes anyway? 
I don't get that. Yeah, it had something to do with the clock. But, but it's getting out of bed and saying, no, this is when I need to get up. I want to in- intentionally get up so I have time to spend with the Lord and I'm not rushing out the door. I say it to you, but I, I say it to myself because I'm so guilty of it. it we, we, we need to live as Paul lived intentionally so that our message would go forth well, but also so that we would live the spiritual life, allowing the Spirit of God and then to rule our spirit, suppressing, disciplining the body. That's, that's where victory comes in. Well, that's chapter 9. And they're in the middle of this lengthy argument, 8, 9, and 10. And we'll, we'll kind of tie it all together next week as he, as he goes back to the idea, should we eat meat sacrificed to idols? But this chapter 9, an example from his life to say, I don't take advantage of the liberties that I have. Uh, my, my greater concern is for my brethren and what is, it, what is in their best interest. It's living other-centered. It's living in love, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's a, there's a great set of videos out there right now. It's interviews with various people from all walks of life. Uh, baseball players, actors, uh, rap artists, all kinds of, all kinds of guys that are Christian, men and women that are Christians. It's called I Am Second. Have you heard of it? Iamsecond.com. Awesome videos. Just go, go to Iamsecond.com and and spend the rest of the night watching videos tonight. Don't hit your snooze alarm in the morning. But they're, they're, they're wonderful. Wonderful testimonies of how God has impacted their lives. And I love them. Can't stand their name. I'm not second. I'm last. God first. Others second. Me last. And that's the way we should live our lives. Amen? Stan, let's close in prayer. I'll let you know next week if I missed anything from my notes. I think I got it all. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your spirit. I want to live according to your spirit, God. I want to honor you with my life. We as a church want to glorify your name, God. And we can't do that as we live carnally. Jesus, the Spirit of God, dwells in my heart. I want to live accordingly. Help me to say no to my carnal ways. Help me to say no to the, the, the feeling inside of me that would say, I need to fight for my rights even if it injures somebody else. Help me to be other-centered, God. Jesus, I thank you for the example that you are in that you are, were other-centered when you came to this world, when you willingly died. Greater love is no one than this than the one who laid down his life for his friends. Jesus, you did that for us. May we do that that others might have life in you. In Jesus' name, amen.